We are continuing our sermon series in the book of John. Um, in John, so far, we have looked at the introduction and the prologue, which has been previewed, all of these little snippets of what we're going to see throughout the book of John as we continue in the sermon series. And we've also looked at the first sign that Jesus did, uh, which was the wedding at Cana, where he turned the water into wine. Today, we're going to be looking at the second sign that John records that Jesus does. Now, we live in Puerto Rico, uh, but we all kind of know what Ikea is, right? But not, not the PR version, um, which was special in its own way as I experienced it. Uh, but the first time that I experienced going into the big stateside Ikeas, right? And I don't know if you've been able to do this, so I'm just going to describe it a little bit, you know? Um, you show up in the showroom, you get your little quarter pencils and little booklets, and you start marking down all the stuff that you want in the showrooms. You have these great dreams for your house. You're like, okay, this is how I'm going to like redo this room. Uh, maybe if you were smart, you signed up for Ikea Family and you got your free coffee. I don't know. That's what I did. Um, you walk through the showroom, right? And you like twist and turn through all the things. And then you go downstairs or up or however it works. Um, and you get your little swivelly cart. Uh, and you like start loading it up. And you're trying to like wander through this warehouse and find the right bins of the stuff that you need. And you hope you grab all the right boxes, right? And then you realize that it's not going to fit in your car anyway, so you're driving with, like, the trunk open. Um, and then you get to your house, and you unload it, and then you realize that your drill is not charged, and maybe you should have brought that drill that was on the shelf anyway. But you're like, that's okay, I got screwdrivers. So you get up your screwdrivers, you sit down, you start, like, working around putting this stuff together. Now, this is where I wonder if any of you follow this. Like, I'm, I'm an instruction-following kind of guy. Like, I open it up, I start following the instructions, Yet inevitably, on about the third drawer out of six for a dresser, I'm like, I got this. I can, it's the same thing over and over and over and over again. I got this. I've done three. This fourth one I can do. And without fail, every time, some piece ends up backwards. Like with a bookshelf I was building once, right? I just I put the, the bottom, uh, whatever, like plank on the top and then the, the top one on the bottom. And the only problem with that is just that like, the way that the screws had to fit meant you weren't supposed to be able to do that. And so I had to actually like reverse them around. So then like the um, particle board outside facing that's not finished is then on the outside, which is not what my wife wants. So you gotta like take it all back apart, put it all back together. What happens when, this, when I do this is that I think I'm the designer, that I'm the creator and that I no longer need the instruction book. You're like, I, I know as good as this thing. I can do it myself. You know, they've coached me along a little bit. Maybe I just needed a little bit of coaching, but now, now I got this. I got this. Adam and Eve did a very similar thing. Tempted by the serpent, they themselves thought, did God really say? Am I sure I need these instructions? Like, I've been doing this for a little bit. I, I think I got it. I got it. They started believing that they were the designers, that they were the creators, and that they didn't need to trust the actual creator. And you know, we in our Christian faith, we do the same thing. We believe that we get to decide who God is. We believe that it is up to us to evaluate all the information. We're convinced that we know better and that we are not subject to the, designer's creator, the di designer and creator's plans, steps, and purposes. We say to ourselves, I got this. In Jesus' day, this was no different. Uh, and today in our passage, we're going to see two different characters, you might say. One, one is a group of people 
Um, and they put themselves above God, right? They, they start saying, I, I got this. I'm going to evaluate whether or not this Jesus guy is God. I got this. They want to be the judge between right and wrong. They, like us, were still living as carbon copies of Adam and Eve. They didn't need the instructions. But we're also going to see another character, another person who, although, like, is, is an interesting evaluation of faith, nevertheless, trusts the creator, trusts the designer, rests in his plan. And so from this character, we're going to look, we're, we're going to learn from him what it looks like to believe God, to trust the creator and trust his plans. Now, before I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, uh, if you're using your bulletin, I have a couple of uh, caveats, because see your copy editor here that's supposed to make sure that these things don't happen? Uh, failed. And so I thought, I was like, yeah, I don't know. That looks like the Bible text. It's good. I've read it over a thousand times. I just you know, run my eyes over it. Uh, but we're not going to read verse 42. We're going to start in verse 43. And then verse 45 is repeated twice. I don't know why, but it's not supposed to be. So just read it once. I'm only going to read it once. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 4, starting in verse 43. After these two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This ends the reading of God's word, and God's word is forever true and forever right. May we submit ourselves to it by the grace of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Please be seated. So I've set out that in order to understand this passage, in order for us to learn what it looks like to believe God, we kind of have to understand these two characters, these two groups of people, or, or, or kind of two categories of people that are at play. So this first group of people are the people who do not trust God. These are the people who want to take the instructions and throw it away. They're like, I got this. I know what God's supposed to look like. Uh, and this is the group of the Galileans in general. Now, this is a little difficult to see, so I'd like you to kind of follow this through with me. In verse 44, Jesus testifies that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And his hometown is considered the region of Galilee. It was the home base of his operations. It's where Jesus was from. He's from here. So Jesus says, 
like John, John records Jesus testifying, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. But what's a little confusing is that immediately afterwards, in verse 45, uh, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now, I don't know about you, but when like, I think of like welcoming, and when they heard what he had did, that that's actually showing some kind of honor, right? But John says in verse 45 that they welcomed him, if you continue reading, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. And by the time we fast forward a little bit further down in verse 48, Jesus says to the man who asked him to heal his son, and he speaks to the crowd through the man. We don't see this as well in English because our you plural doesn't get translated to y'all in the ESV. Although if we had a translation that would do y'all, it would be there. So what he's doing is he's like looking at this man, but he's also just speaking to the crowd. He's saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What John is trying to do is set the stage that the Galileans welcomed him because Jesus was a spectacle. Jesus was juicy entertainment. Jesus in Jerusalem turned over tables of money changers. He challenged Pharisees. People are like, this is the best TV ever. This is the best thing, like, this is the most exciting thing that's happened in Judaism and like ever. So they're just like, I don't know, let's see, let's see if he makes anybody else mad. This might be fun. That's, that's what John's insinuating. A prophet has no honor in his hometown. And yet they welcomed him because they wanted to see signs and wonders. They wanted him, they wanted Jesus to prove himself to them. Are you really God? Are you really who you say you are? So Jesus returns to Galilee where he says that he has no honor. And there's this man that travels from Capernaum, which is also in Galilee, but it's, it's probably a two-day journey, more or less. Maybe it could be done in one, but it'd be a long day. Two-day journey from Capernaum to, to Cana. And we don't learn a lot of, about this man besides the fact that he's an official. Maybe he's an official of Herod's house, which is kind of like a puppet king underneath the Romans. Like, he was given some authority, but, but not a lot. Maybe he was an official there. Um, or maybe he was an official to the Romans, in which case he reported, you know, to, to Roman rule. We're not entirely sure, but what is clear is that this man is making a request of Jesus, and the crowd around him, you can almost feel it. What's he going to do? What sign will he give us that we might know that this is God? Jesus, though, as he responds to the crowd through the man, says, you don't believe that I am who I say I am. You don't believe who my disciples say that I am. You don't believe who John the Baptist says that I am. You don't believe those who witness about me. You want me to prove it to you. So Jesus sees what they're after. He sees that in their minds they say, I don't know, I need some more proof. I think we do the same thing. We want Jesus to prove himself to us. Jesus, I'll stop doing X, Y, Z sin if, if I can just see this other thing change in my life. Jesus, I just need healed of this infirmity and then I'll believe in you forever. I'll never doubt you again. 
Jesus, I just need to get into this college. I just need this girlfriend or boyfriend. I just need this job. I just need to move to this location. Then I'll be there. Then I'll be sold. Can you do that for me, Jesus? Maybe even worse than asking for a sign, many of us approach Scripture as if we are able to decide whether or not it's true. As if we have the ability to reason with God. Or as if Christ was simply an appeal to our logic that we could just like logically conclude these things. You see, the problem with our reading, the problem with our reasoning with God, and the problem with our logic is that they are ours. They are still rooted in Adam and Eve, and they're fundamentally formed out of the idea that we can just throw away the instructions. I can get to truth by myself. Let me evaluate whether or not this is true. When we ask for proof, when we set ourselves up over God, when we ask for signs in order to believe, we betray that we are setting the standard for who we think God should be. We reveal that we do not allow God to tell us who he is. He needs to tell us who he is. Maybe another way to say it is that we test God. Will God pass our tests? So this is the first group of people. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The other character in the story, this official that comes down, um, this character does trust God. He's still looking for something. He's still looking for something from Jesus, but he does trust God. And we know this because where the Bible says that the crowds gave no honor, the Bible will conclude that this other character responds in belief. Twice, he believed God. He himself believed he and his household. And so from him, we're going to learn what it looks like to be a believer, someone who reads the instructions, who life, whose life is oriented towards a right relationship, towards right ends. What does it look like to be a believer? And so from this character, we're going to learn that being a believer looks like go, ask, obey, and remember. You ready? We're going to like rip through these really quick. Go, ask, Obey and remember. By go, I mean go to the source. We live in Puerto Rico. There's no winter here. It allows for like unbelievable greenery, right? But it also allows for like an inordinate amount of insects. Like they never die off, right? Uh, so recently, Margaret and I have had the experience with weevils, um, or in Spanish, as I've learned, they're called gorgojo. Uh, and, you know, we would, like, wake up in the morning, and there'd be, like, 20 or 30 of these little things, like, on our cabinets, and we're like, what are these things? And you could, like, kill them. They're not fast or particularly scary, you know? You just, like, you, so you kill them all, and then you're like, I don't know. Maybe we left something out. Who knows? Uh, it takes some time to, uh, for, for us to figure out that we need to go to the source of the problem, which, in the case of weevils, ends up being, you know, a bag of flour, or, in our case, it was cornmeal, and I think a bag of flour is really the cornmeal, though. They, like, went to town on that stuff. There had to be, like, a million. It was like, oh my. Um, we had to go to the source or else that problem was never going to get better. For the official in our story, when his life confronted him with a problem, right, he heard about this man, Jesus. He heard that Jesus could do things. And despite whatever misgivings or doubts this official may have had, I mean, you've got to, you've got to consider this, right? Like, his son is close to death. 
And his response is, I'm going to go travel two days. I may very well miss my last moments with my son, but I've got to go to the source. I've got to know. The first step in belief is going to the source. And you know, today, Jesus isn't in Cana in Galilee where we could take a long journey to go ask him our requests. But Jesus actually said that he was going to send a helper to us that was going to like enliven his word so much so that he promised to meet us in his word. He said, when you go to the source, when you go to the Bible, I will be there. In order to believe, you must go to the source. Testimonies of other people are helpful. Christian books may be helpful. Wise Christian counsel may be helpful. But all of those things must push you to the source, to God's word to us today. One thing about God's word, though, that I just want to acknowledge. Reading is hard, right? Like, I have a book on my shelf at home that's literally titled How to Read a Book. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a little bit comical, but we all kind of acknowledge that, like, reading itself is like an easy task that we learn when we're quite young, but then comprehension is quite another thing, not to mention application. The Bible can be difficult to read but in God's promise to meet us there, theologians have kind of summarized this doctrine, and they said, when you go to Scripture to seek God, you will find everything necessary for salvation and for life and godliness. You may not find what you are looking for, but you will find what Jesus is giving you. You will find the balm for that wound you will find the strength for the next step because you will be reoriented back to your creator. You'll be living in light of the instructions. The first thing that we learn about belief is that we have to go to the source. The second is that we ask. I think it's relatively easy for us to not ask for things. Like the proverbial husband who's too embarrassed to pull over to ask for directions. We're kind of like, nah, I don't need that. I did a series of short-term mission trips in Mexico. It's actually where uh, my wife Margaret and I met. Uh, and on one of these trips, uh, I was tasked with using a wet saw to cut tile. So there's someone inside the building who was like sending out measurements. And then my job was to like cut, cut these tiles, right? Well, I needed to go get another box of tile. So I like went to where like all of our resources are piled up, whatever. Um, and I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is the right box. But next to it was like an open box of tile. And I was like, oh, I should use the open box of tile. That makes sense. So I could carry it back, and I have like a little question, like maybe I should ask somebody. I'm like, nah, I got it. They're busy. Like, it's fine, right? I don't need those instructions. So I take it back. I start cutting the tile. I think I go to another box. Only to find out a little bit later, the guy comes back out, and he's looking for edge tile, or the rounded kind of finishing. I don't, I'm not really sure the, like, the correct term for that, but you know it has like the rounded edge. It's supposed to go on the edge, like make it all pretty. And he goes, hey, there was an open box of tile here. Uh, what happened with it? 
And I was like, well, it's now tiled. I was afraid to ask and set the project back. And actually, if my memory serves me correctly, our team was also afraid to ask um, in another part of this building, we're laying floor tile, bigger tiles, mixing mortar for it. Uh, and the mortar mix was not quite correct, and so never quite adhered. And so the next day, we had to pry up all of the tiles anyway and redo it. We're often afraid to ask. The official in our story went to Jesus and asked him. He went to the source and he asked him. And he even had the boldness to ask him again. Not just once, Jesus, but twice, three times. I'll continue going back to the source and asking. Do we have that boldness to ask again and again and again? I think often I feel like Jesus is going to be irritated or that God is going to be bothered by my petty requests. And someone in our small group this last week actually said it best. She said, I find it easy to ask a God for help because he commands us to. If I didn't ask God for help, I would be disobeying him. And I was like, that, that is wisdom right there. I, I need to hear that in my own life. Trust God with your requests, not only because he certainly will not belittle you with them, but because he commands you to ask them. So as we learn how to believe, first we learn that we go to the source. Second, that we ask boldly. Third, we obey. You see, in this story, the official travels this two-day journey seeking the source, and then he boldly asks. And when he receives his answer, he obeys. I mean, like I don't, you know, you travel two days, and you go and you're looking for help because your son is dying. And someone just looks at you and says, go, your son will live. How easy, like, you know, sometimes we go to the doctor, and you know that we've got a problem, we address, we address the doctor, the doctor talks to us for about 20 seconds, and then they're like, all right, I gotta, here you go, boom, there's your prescription, bye, see you later, and you're like, I, this, I trust you, but also that was really fast, could I have a little more? Maybe as an official, whether in Herod's command or Rome's, he was probably used to taking orders without asking questions. And maybe those of you with military background understand that as well. But for me, that's actually quite difficult, especially given the situation. I'd be like, man, I would want to be like, is there something I can take with me that like, I can come back with if like, you didn't do this? You know, and like, I don't know, get a return on my investment or something? Like, It is clear, though, that this official was not worried, but that he believed. And the evidence that he believed was that he obeyed. Jesus said, go, and he went. The evidence of our belief in Jesus is that we obey his commands. After we go to the source and after we ask boldly, we obey his commands, but his commands are sometimes really difficult. Stop worrying about your health. I am your resurrection. Stop striving for a name for yourself. I am your name. Serve the least of these, not the greatest. Clothe the naked. Feed the hungry. Care for those who are hurting. Give your money away. Indeed, give yourself away. Turn the other cheek. No one should think of himself more highly than he ought, but in love each should consider others as more worthy. That person got a promotion because they deserved it. 
It means following Christ in his humility, going lower than you would by nature. Obeying Christ is our, is our evidence that, that we believe in him. If you say that you trust him, but you cannot obey him, is it not just empty words? In following the instructions for this Christian life, in order to be a believer, we go, we ask, we obey, and finally we remember. Uh, something that's always sweet for me to do is to watch our wedding video. Uh, we've got a couple um, that I enjoy going back and watching, and I probably don't watch them as often as I should. And you know, our wedding day wasn't perfect. Um, there was a little bit of family drama. There were things that we had to rush to do. Uh, it rained. But it helps give perspective to the present when I do those things. It reminds me how in almost eight years of marriage, we've been there for each other. Sometimes it reveals maybe how naive I thought love was going to be, or how naive and how easy I thought marriage would be. But how Margarita and I, well, I'll say this, how, how much Margarita has better to me. Cultivating this memory, kindling this memory, helps give stability and power to our present relationship. It helps give perspective to maybe present struggles. It helps solidify something instead of eroding it by forgetfulness. The official in our passage today had an approximately two-day journey one way to have a four-sentence exchange with Jesus and then a two-day journey home. For me, four-sentence exchanges are sometimes difficult to remember, <laughs> especially ones such as, like, short as these with a crowd and a long journey. But this man remembered it. So when his servants arrived in the middle of the road, in the middle of his journey, he, just didn't, he didn't just rejoice that his son was healed but he asked them the hour. He remembered the hour that Jesus spoke, go, your son lives. And in remembering, he gave stability and power to his present relationship with Jesus. Not only did this solidify his individual, personal relationship with Jesus, but it also affected his whole household because it says his whole household believed. The act of remembering God's answers to our requests gives stability and power to our present relationship with Jesus. And we should practice it. And I say this with the utmost humility. One, because my memory is awful. Like, I've probably asked many of you in here who have been here for a long time your name many times. And if you're gone for long enough, I'll forget it again. And I'm sorry, I need to be better at it. But two, I actually don't make a practice of going back over how God has answered prayers in my life. I've not made that a practice. And that sort of forgetfulness of God's past faithfulness will erode the present relationship. Whereas if I work diligently on remembering God's faithfulness in the past, it will give power and stability 
this present relationship. So we see that belief looks like going, asking, obeying, and remembering. There's one final thing to notice in this passage, and that's John's focus on signs. This is the second sign that Jesus did. And we talked about the first sign last week, which was turning the water into wine in Cana, the same city. First and second sign happened in the same place. In both situations, only a few people were aware of what Jesus was doing and turning water into wine. It was his disciples and the servants, right? It says the master of the feast didn't know how it happened, but the servants did. And in this situation today, it's the official in his household because all the rest of the Galileans heard what Jesus has said, but how are they going to know whether the son is healed? They're just left wondering whether or not it happened. Those who do not trust God, who throw away the instructions, like this first group, we can often be astonished by signs and miracles and wonders that Jesus can do. We can be captivated. We can be drawn in. Wow, Jesus does amazing things. Jesus was a really good person, wasn't he? But for John and for Jesus and for the disciples, there is a better sign, a better miracle, and a better wonder. You see, ever since Adam and Eve, people have been choosing to be their own gods, to decide their own path, to throw away the instructions, to ignore the designer and creator, but now something's different. Now people see the designer and creator, and they believe. The real miracle, the real sign, and the real wonder is that Jesus comes and people believe, and they believe from the heart. It is a promise that has been made all the way back from Genesis 3, all the way through the prophets, where people that with hearts of stone would receive hearts of flesh, and people would be changed. And in both stories, his disciples believed in the wedding in Canaan when he turned water into wine, and in this story, the official and his household believed. The real miracle is that Jesus changes people. Jesus changes you. When you go, ask, obey, and remember. When you live the life of belief that's empowered by the very person that lets you do these. Because just to be clear, we're all going to run to other things besides the source. And we're going to have to run back to Jesus. And he invites us back. We're all going to ask other things besides asking the source. And we're going to be afraid to ask the source, and he invites us back to do it again. We're all going to obey other things besides the king, and he goes to rescue us. We're all going to forget, but he will never forget us. When we believe our life changes you will no longer see the world as you once did, but you will see it as he does. Your instruction book will allow you to see what you were made for and who you were made to serve, and everything in your life will be oriented towards that end. You will be living in right relationship with God. Belief looks like going, asking, obeying, and remembering. But believing 
feels like a relationship with a good father. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that by your word and spirit, we might see a true sign and a true miracle worked in our midst, even within ourselves. That we might be made a people who believe and believe from the heart. Jesus, empower us as we seek you but stumble. Encourage us when we want to ask but we stutter. As we try to obey and fail, show us your mercy. And Father, make us a people who remember your goodness to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.